impact of Ukraine-Russia conflict on the markets intensifies, Indian automakers' February sales disappoint, and time to revisit Ford Motor. This is Vinay Uttam, your resident stock doctor, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Stock Doctor podcast. So last week, you had a solid U.S. jobs report. You had Fed Chair Jerome Powell all but confirming that the Fed will raise rates by only 25 basis points, as opposed to the initially feared 50 basis points. And you had wage growth showing some form of stability. Despite all of this, the Dow dropped 1.3%. S&P 500 also fell 1.3%. And the tech-heavy Nasdaq slumped a whopping 2.8%. And the volatility index, you know, the so-called fear gauge, well, that jumped 16% to 31.98. Why? The Russia-Ukraine war, of course. What else? A war that is only intensifying with each passing day and shows no signs of slowing down. So what happened in the markets on a week where we even came close to a nuclear catastrophe in Europe? Let's find out through our first segment, Doctor's Weekly Snapshot. Welcome to the Doctor's Weekly Snapshot. So as the war intensified last week, so too did the intensity of backlash from the West. In addition to crippling sanctions, we also saw major companies pulling out of Russia and severing ties with the nation. These included the likes of Boeing, General Motors, Harley-Davidson, Nike, Apple, Disney, Meta Platforms, a company formerly known as Facebook, and Airbnb. But the ones who made the biggest impact amidst all this carnage were the energy companies. Most specifically, British oil giant BP announced plans to sell its 20% stake in Russian company Rosneft, a move that would cost up to $25 billion. As the markets digested the ripple effects of the BP's move, the likes of Equinor, Shell and ExxonMobil also announced their plans to walk away from their assets in Russia. And if you thought Russia would uh, sit quietly and take those punches, well, you couldn't be more wrong. As a means of retaliation to contain the information dissemination, Russia blocked access to Facebook and Twitter and passed a bill that criminalized, quote-unquote, fake reports against the war. Meta Platforms, the parent company of Facebook and Twitter, ended the week down 3.67% and 4.46%, respectively, for the week. Oh, and if you thought that was all the bad news? No, no, that's not what I meant by war intensifying. Literally, the war intensified. We even had a threat of a nuclear catastrophe when Russia attacked one of Ukraine's nuclear plants on Thursday night. The attack caused a fire to break out of the plant, which was later contained. Now, see, this attack on this nuclear power plant, now, if you thought the markets were absolutely freaking out and why they were freaking out and, you know, whether, you know, we're we're going to see some form of normalcy anytime soon, no. This attack on the nuclear power plant was an indication, it'll give you an indication of just how freaked out the market is with regards to the Russia-Ukraine conflict and where, you know, why, in my opinion, we're not going to see any form of calmness anytime soon. As soon as the news on the power plant attack broke out, this was after the markets had closed, the futures of all three indices plummeted nearly 1%, even when the full extent of the damages and the resulting consequences were largely unknown. And when the markets did open on Friday, remember, this was the day it was preceded by the news of a solid jobs report where the U.S. economy added 678,000 jobs in February. And, uh, you know, uh, the news of wage growth showing signs of stability, you know, 
when the markets did open on Friday, it was preceded by all this news. But this news was promptly brushed aside as the markets ended deeply in the red with the power plant attack and the consequences very much on investors' minds. Given how scared the markets are, don't be surprised if the upcoming week starts off with more selling, especially since the temporary ceasefire agreement between Russia and Ukraine for the safe passage of civilians collapsed twice after it was agreed, you know, not long after it was agreed. On both occasions, it collapsed not long after the ceasefire agreement was made, with each nation blaming the other. And that's just what happened on Saturday and Sunday, a time when I'm recording this. Who knows what Sunday night after this podcast is well and truly recorded or the early hours of Monday morning will bring. Look, there's no easy way out. Unless there's some form of definitive agreement through which Russia and Ukraine resolve this conflict, the markets will not calm down. Even if Russian forces prevail, the markets will still be panicky given that the sanctions from the West will only intensify. I mean, crude is already trading in historic highs and there's no signs of slowing down. Imagine if Russia wins and the West retaliates with strong sanctions against the Russian energy sector. Jesus, my head hurts just thinking about the situation, which until a few days back was unimaginable. Bottom line, in the short to medium term, I just don't see any relief for the markets. Simply put, just don't see any relief. Sure, there will be days where quote-unquote buy-the-dip strategy might lend support, but with the markets freaking out on a scale I've never seen in recent times, the support is more likely to be short-lived. Until we get some concrete resolution from the Ukraine crisis and until we get some much-needed clarity from the Federal Reserve with respect to the magnitude of interest rate hikes, and oh, by the way, just so you know, on Wednesday, last Wednesday, Chair Powell did indicate that he would be pushing for a 25 basis point hike at the upcoming uh, meeting that calmed the markets for a bit before the sell-off just intensified. You, you know, un- so until we get some clarity, don't expect any calm in the markets. Then again, when was the last time you experienced any sense of calm anywhere when there was blood on the streets and shelling from the skies? Let's head to the next segment. The doctor goes home. Welcome to the Doctor Goes Home segment. Now, it's been a while since I've talked about the monthly sales of the Indian automakers. I mean, how could I since there's been so much going on in the Indian markets outside the auto space? Given that it's been long overdue, I thought this week I'll shift my attention, and by extension your attention, onto the February sales numbers of the Indian automakers. So the major takeaway from the sales numbers is that the near-term outlook of uh, automotive industry continues to look grim. Barring Tata Motors and Mahindra and Mahindra, it was a month to forget for major four-wheeler manufacturers. The country's largest player, Maruti Suzuki, saw its domestic sales decline by 8.46% year-over-year to 140,035 units, compared to 152,983 units in February 2021. Sales of its mini-cars division, Maruti's mini-cars division, uh, which comprises the likes of Alto and Espresso, declined by 17.81% year-over-year, and sales of its compact segment, which comprises the likes of Beleno and Desire, registered a year-over-year decline of 3.38%. The only silver lining for Maruti Suzuki was with regards to exports, which jumped over two-fold to 24,021 units, compared to 11,486 units in February 2021. It was the same story for India's second largest uh, auto player, Hyundai Motor, which also saw its domestic sales down 14.6% year over year. 
Unlike Maruti, Hyundai actually suffered more pain in the export segment, with exports down by 10.7% year-over-year to 9,109 units. The company attributed the sales declines to semiconductor shortage. Oh, where have I heard that before? Semiconductor shortage, which have been plaguing the industry since the early days of the pandemic. Other major auto players, such as Honda and Toyota, also registered a year-over-year decline for the month of Feb. Like I said earlier, it was not doom and gloom for all the automakers, and the latest trend of a surge in popularity of SUVs continued last month. The major SUV players, as a result, all enjoyed an uptick in sales. Kia saw its sales increase 8.5% year-over-year to 18,121 units, with its SUV, the Kia Seltos, continuing to be the top contributor. Its other models, the Sonnet and the uh, MPV uh, Carnival, also registered healthy sales numbers. The company's latest entrant, the uh, Kia Karens, what a, what a, what a vehicle, what a, what a machine, also chipped in with the sales of 5,109 units. The other player in the SUV segment, M&M. Now, M&M is quietly doing a lovely turnaround for a while now. It's, it's, I know stock's gone up as well, but it's been a nice, you know, any major weakness in the auto sector. M&M looks like, for me, like a company that is, you know, definitely worth taking a look at. As, you know, M&M saw, saw total sales surging 89% year over year, with the SUV segment registering a robust growth of 79%, as a result of which it delivered the highest ever monthly volume. The highest ever monthly volume for the SUVs. M&M's commercial segment also helped in the company's sales surge, with the unit delivering 23,978 units in Feb 2022, compared to 11,559 units in Feb 2021. M&M guys, watch out for it. Keep keep an eye out for the company, and you know any signs of weakness, that's a company that's worth taking a look look at. My favorite, though, Tata Motors, which I continue to be long, all had a strong showing, I mean, also had a strong showing in uh, February with the sales in the passenger vehicle segment in the domestic market jumping 47% year over year. Commercial vehicle segment also registered a 9% year over year growth in sales. The electric vehicle segment of Tata Motors registered a whopping 478% year over year growth in sales as it sold 2,846 EVs last month compared to a mega 492 in Feb 2021. Finally, my prediction seems to be coming true as far as Skoda Auto is considered. I told you to keep an eye on this, uh, uh, you know, uh, on, on, on this particular company and boy, is it delivering. Sales last month jumped over five-fold year over year, primarily driven by its SUV, Kushak. Having launched its latest model, the Slavia Sedan, which is expected to compete in the mid-sized sedan category, it would be very interesting to see whether the company can compete in multiple segments or whether it's simply a one-trick wonder. Either way, definitely keep an eye on for Skoda Auto. Okay, enough about four-wheelers. Let's talk two, who registered yet another dismal performance compared to Feb 2021, although there were improvements on a month-on-month basis. It was read across the board for all the major players, Hero Motor Corp, the, the, one of the leaders of two-wheelers in India, its sales uh, declined by 27% and its scooter sales dipped by 52.5% compared to February of last year. Honda Motorcycle and Scooter India, HMSI, registered a decline of 30.5%. And the other major player, Bajaj Auto, saw a 35% year-over-year decline. Aisha Motors Royal Enfield also saw year-over declines, year-over-year declines of 20%. Even TVS Motors, which at the moment can't seem to do anything wrong, 
witnessed a year-over-year decline of 11%, although its motorcycle sales did grow 5% year-over-year. Yeah, overall, though, I mean, look at num- any numbers anyway, yet another month to forget for India's two-wheelers. Now, see, I've thrown a lot of numbers at you, which numbers which you can simply take any newspaper article and look at. It's all about crunching those numbers and understanding what the key takeaways are, right? That's what we do here at Stock Doctor. Well, for starters, the semiconductor shortage seems to be the number one headwind for all the major players. Where, you know, we, 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 for that. I feel like last time, the first time I introduced, you know, auto sales, I was talking about the semiconductor shortage. Here we are. It's still there, the number one headwind. Even those players who did see a sales growth cautioned about the chip shortage is continuing to be a major headwind in the near term. Again, this is a global problem. Like I said, it's a deja vu for me. It's, this is a global problem, not just an India problem. And in my opinion, it's likely to be a temporary headache. The real problem, though, is now with the Russia-Ukraine conflict in full swing, with oil prices at record highs and showing no signs of slowing down, Petrol and diesel prices are expected to surge once the state elections are over, and that's not too long from now. According to a report on Economic Times, fuel prices will have to be increased by over 12 rupees a litre in the next 10 days for fuel retailers to even break, to, you know, to, to, to just break even. And that is based on current levels of crude prices. The higher that goes up, so will the expected fuel increases, which is more than enough to put off any potential buyers of autom- or, you know, automobiles. So while the chip problem has been an issue for a while, the surging oil prices are brand new and are even a bigger issue, especially since we have no idea when and how the Russia-Ukraine conflict will end. And oh, by the way, speaking of supply chain constraints, this conflict will only exacerbate the problem, not alleviate it. Another theme that can be observed is the SUV trend continues to go up and up. This is a trend that I've always believed will stick around for the foreseeable future, especially after Kia and Hyundai have revolutionized this field. Furthermore, the popularity of EVs should further bolster the popularity of SUVs, given that the major success stories in the EV space have been e-SUVs. And this is where I believe Maruti uh, Suzuki really messed up. I mean, I can understand Maruti's lack of interest in the EV space, but the lack of concrete SUV models is not just baffling, but it can also prove very costly for India's largest PV player. How soon the company course corrects will determine its ability to hold on to the throne. Bottom line, guys, the auto industry is expected to bear some major short to medium term pain. Just when the supply chain bottlenecks and chip shortages were starting to be alleviated, the Russia-Ukraine conflict just threw a spanner into the works in the form of surging oil prices. As long as that remains unresolved, the pain isn't going away for this sector. On that gloomy note, let's head to the final segment, Dr. Dissects. Welcome to the Dr. Dissects segment. Let's take a trip down memory lane this week and dissect a company that first featured on episode 2. Oh, we've come a long way. This is episode 20. 18 episodes later, here we are talking about the same company, but major update, of course. Since then, this stock has had a terrific run, reached its peak, and has stumbled to levels that just warrants another look at it, especially since its EV strategy is becoming more and more clear with each passing day. The company I'm talking about is Ford Motor, ticker symbol F. That's it, just F. 
Last week, the company decided to make a move that investors were calling out and that the company's management actually hinted at during the recently concluded earnings call. Ford is officially creating distinct internal combustion and EV businesses. Ford Blue, which will be the internal combustion engine or ICE business, and Ford Model E, which is set to be the EV division. And the company's charismatic CEO, Jim Farley, will be the president of, the, uh, of this division, the EV division. With plans to produce more than 2 million EVs annually by 2026, Ford's move to differentiate the EV business from ICE business is no doubt a game changer. And not just because it brings clarity to the investors about Ford's future plans when it comes to both ICE and EVs, but also because it makes it easier to ramp up investments and grow the EV business. And once electric vehicles become more mainstream and the division becomes more established, it will make it easier for Ford to ultimately spin it off into a separately listed business, a move which is what investors, and I'm pretty sure the management, ultimately want. Speaking of those electric vehicle investments, the company also gave investors some more news to cheer as it pledged to boost spending on electric vehicles to $50 billion through 2026, a significant increase from the previously promised $30 billion by 2025. The company, during its recently concluded earnings call, announced that it had doubled the 2023 planned capacity for EVs to 600,000 and announced that it should break ground on the Blue Oval City electric truck plant in Tennessee in the coming months. Given that the Ford F-150 Lightning, the electrified version of America's most popular pickup truck, has been so popular, to give you some context, it has received over 200,000 reservations till date, which equates to a three-year backlog of orders. Electric pickup trucks are likely to be the primary growth driver for Ford going forward, so building a plant dedicated to their uh, production seems like a logical long-term move. The other catalyst for the company is the continued success of its Lincoln brand in China, which has become the number one market for the brand globally. The company achieved record sales of uh, Lincoln in China, registering a 50% year-over-year growth. The management also announced that it's seeing strong demand for its newly launched Lincoln Zephyr in China. Zephyr, Zephyr, pronounce it however you want. Bottom line, it's seeing strong demand in China. Sticking with China, the success of Lincoln brand is also rubbing off on the company's EV plans for the country. In the recently concluded quarter, the company began the local production deliveries of the Mustang Mark E. The Mark E, by the way, has been receiving some raving reviews and even beat the Tesla Model 3 as consumer reports top pick for an EV in 2022. The company is also targeting to build about 100,000 units of Mark E this year. And, and yeah, you can argue that the company is struggling with production due to the ongoing chip shortage, but there's no shortage on the demand side. And, you know, ju just to put things in context, if, if, if given its success story with Lincoln, put it this way, given its success story with Lincoln, I just wouldn't bet against the Mark E also being a success in China once the chip shortage issues are resolved. Yes, there is obvious chip shortage problem. We've talked about this. I've talked about this for a long time, but I'm saying about long term, given its success in China, yeah, the success of Lincoln in China, I just think Marquis is bound to be a success as well, given how much China has embraced electric vehicles. Finally, amidst all the focus on China and electric vehicles, don't forget the company's standalone global vehicle services and distribution business Ford Pro, which is expected to generate $45 billion in revenues by 2025. The EV and ICE division split should also aid the growth of Ford Pro now that there will be more clarity across all three segments. 
There was some good news from an earnings perspective as well. The company reaffirmed its guidance of 11.5 billion to 12.5 billion in company adjusted EBIT for 2022, which would represent a 15 to 25% jump compared to FI21. The company also expects to generate adjusted free cash flow of between five and a half to six and a half billion dollars in FI 2022, with full year wholesales expected to be up by about 10 to 15 percent. This, ladies and gentlemen, brings me to valuation. A DCF, a discounted cash flow analysis using conservative assumptions for calculating cash flow, which include the company's own guidance of $11.5 billion in adjusted EBIT for FY22 and a weighted average cost of capital of 6.4%, yields a target price of $23.55, round about $24, which implies an approximate 40% upside to Friday's closing price. The company is obviously not without risks. Just like how I talked about GM a few weeks back, and then and then a few episodes earlier, just like how I talked about GM, most of the growth for Ford will fully kick into gear if and only if the EV strategy works out well and as planned. With numerous EV models coming out at around the same time, it's all about whether Ford can stand out. And the other risk is, of course, the semiconductor shortage, which has battered the global car makers, a situation which is quite, not quite alleviated yet. And uh, to top it all, the, U- uh, the Ukraine-Russian crisis is causing a price surge in crude and commodities on a scale not seen in recent times. And this is only going to further boost inflation and as a consequence, Ford's input costs. So, you know, uh, it's, <laughs> if, if you thought semiconductor shortage was bad, the Russia-Ukraine conflict just, has just compounded the problems. Overall, though, I like Ford Motor. The stock jumped 8% last week on the news of EV ICE division split, but quickly came down and ended 3% for the week. Year to date, the stock is down nearly 23% and is finally at a level where actually I believe one can think of nibbling. The company's EV ICE division split is going to bring a lot of clarity from both capital allocation and growth perspectives. The launch of the F-150 Lightning in the coming months should really provide the company with another juicy catalyst. The success in China for the Lincoln brand is also a positive development and should set the stage for the success of its EV strategy in that country. Yes, the Ukraine-Russia conflict and the semiconductor shortages are serious risks in the short to medium term, but from a long-term perspective, they don't pose much of a risk. Amidst all the merciless and selling and carnage you see in the markets these days, there are normally some precious gems for long-term investors. Ford Motor certainly looks like one that's all the time i have for you this week if you have a specific indian or u.s stock uh, suggestion for the doctor to diagnose and dissect do tweet me at uttamvina u-t-h-a-m-v-i-n-a-y or email me on the stock doctor podcast gmail.com thank you again for listening the doctor's off uh, next week actually so see you again in two weeks until then stay safe and make some money